Welcome back to the Revelation On Demand podcast, a podcast dedicated to bringing you Revelation from the Bible. I'm your host, Justin D. Myers, and it looks like we're going to be doing this alone from now on. So, I'm not sure where Chris is. Uh, if you hear this, buddy, uh, we're praying for you. Know that you've been in my prayers since we talked over two weeks ago. Hope you're safe. Hope you're doing all right. You're always welcome to come back to this podcast, man. I really appreciate what you brought to this. I really appreciate what you've done to get me to the place where I could continue on this podcast by myself. You know, you've given me the confidence that I can keep doing this. Like I said, I haven't heard from him, so I hope he's all right. I pray he's all right. If you guys please, please pray for Chris. Uh, he was in a pretty rough, rough place last I talked to him. So here's hoping that God has a plan for him, that he's safe, and that maybe someday he will rejoin us. But until then, we shall keep a stiff upper lip and continue on. So going from one somber thing to another, there's been a lot of talk about the Roe versus Wade and abortion and all that sort of stuff lately. So I wanted to chime in, I think. Personally, I believe that the act of abortion is murder because I believe a human is conceived when conception happens, not just a clump of cells. And I think most people see, uh, most people can understand that, that once there's a unique DNA sequence there, that it's a, its own person. So I think abortion is one of those things that we should just avoid as much as possible. I understand that people might have hard times or that uh, there may be places where the, there is exceptions, but I don't think a rule should be built off of exceptions. So in the case of, you know, pregnancies that threaten the life of the mother, and I mean threaten the life of the mother, not just you're going to have a rough time of it. I mean actually threaten the life of the mother, like ectopic pregnancies or pregnancies with that hemorrhage, that sort of stuff, then medical intervention is necessary. But in the case of hemorrhages, we can usually, usually happens late enough that the baby can get life support too. So when there's, you know, a line of families waiting to adopt baby, babies, I see zero reason to be even consider killing all these children. So now, that granted, we do need more more people to step up to the foster system because there's been a lot of kids that have just been left in there. But those are kids that mostly, you know, had parents before, but they've gotten sick, they've gotten killed, they've gotten, you know, they've become people who are too unreliable. The state took the children away. That's the kind of kids who end up in foster, not the kind of kids who are abandoned at birth. It is easy to get people who want a baby. It's hard to get older kids adopted. And that's a real tragedy. You know, I, after we're done having our kids, we've talked about looking into helping with the foster care system. So, and we're getting closer to being done having our children. So we, we plan to do something like that. I think anyhow, continuing on. What we did last episode, we covered Amos chapter 7, right? 
Amos chapter 7, which he was talking about uh, visions that he was given of locusts and fire and the plumb line, and how this was, you know, God going to, you know, bring judgment down on Israel. And uh, Amos intervened on two of those, if you remember correctly, and managed to persuade God not to bring down that judgment. So... That was interesting, and we've seen this multiple times in the Bible. Uh, I hope to look over more of these places where it looks like that uh, humans have had a way to uh, convince, to persuade God of doing something that is in line with his nature, not out of line with his nature, which is very interesting. So I hope to dig in more on those as we come come along to those. And then Amaziah and the high priest, or excuse me, Amos and Amaziah the high priest had a throwdown where Amaziah was pretty much calling Amos a charlatan and that he was just doing this for the money. And Amos came back and cursed him and said, you know, if I was just in it for the money, I'd go back to farming pretty much. So uh, not a whole lot I can think of needing to go into this chapter again. We're going to see a lot of pretty hard stuff as we go through this and God talking about humanity in a pretty harsh way. So that makes, that's part of the reason why I think Amos is so underread and, and unappreciated because it's a pretty hard book to read. So we see, we see places where he's, he's using very coarse language. He's using, uh, you know, he, not, he's not sugarcoating it in any way. He's not putting it behind euphemisms. He's he's pretty much saying that, you know, God is upset and that he's going to destroy this land for basically not following God anymore. Which, you know, today can feel like something that's, that's really brutal. But back then, uh, many gods that were believed in were far more brutal than God was at this point. So... We're going to be reading Amos chapter 8 today. If you're looking to follow along with scripture, we'll do the first little section here. And then we'll stop and talk about some points. And then we will finish out the last section. So joining me in Amos chapter 8. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. A basket of ripe fruit. Wow, fruit. What do you see, Amos? He asked. A basket of ripe fruit, I answered. Then the Lord said to me, The time is ripe for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. In that day, declares the Sovereign Lord, the songs of the temple will turn to wailing. Many, many bodies flung everywhere. Silence. Hear this, you who trample the needy, and do away with the poor of the land, saying, when will the new moon be over, that we may sell, sell grain, and that the Sabbath be ended, that we may market wheat? Skimping on the measure, boosting the price, and cheating with dishonest scales, buying the poor with silver, and the needy for a pair of sandals, selling even the sweepings with the wheat. So, you see right here, it starts off with a vision that Amos is being shown by the Lord. And uh, we see he's he's showing him a basket of ripe fruit. And I would imagine that it's not, 
necessarily ripe in the way we would think like, oh, it's perfect to, to be eaten. Uh, it could be. It could also mean ripe as in it's overripe in which, you know, this, this fruit is starting to rot and stink. And uh, now the Lord's talking about it's time to, time to uh, get rid of it or to collect it in that matter. So both in both senses, uh, you could think of it as it being rotting and, and overripe and, you can see that you know the Lord's ready to get rid of this, or it's ripe, which we've we've seen in Revelation, where He harvests the grapes of wrath and uh, then presses it into a wine. You know, so it could be ripe and ready to just be harvested. I would tend to side on the side that's overripe and it's time to get rid of it because I don't personally I don't like thinking of evil. In, in terrible people as ripe in the sense of ripe fruit. So again, we're talking about the end of days. This is uh, not necessarily just, just talking about those guys there at that time where, as I've said before, I think there's, there's full the full fulfillment of prophecy and partial fulfillment of prophecy, which again, these people at the time in Israel were, were, you know, kind of treating the Sabbath the way most Americans treat the Sabbath today. And uh, kind of one of those, well, it's kind of sucks that all these businesses are shut down for one day and, you know, I really need to do something. Or, you know, and, you know, nowadays that really doesn't happen anymore. We don't have a Sunday where you can't almost do anything because there's everything closed. Most of the time, most people are are open on the Sabbath. You can get anything you want on the Sabbath, you know? So we've really fallen away from that. And I think this is just him talking about their, their longing to get to a place where we are today, where only very few businesses actually still have a Sabbath day where they don't do any work whatsoever. And then he's talking, he's talking about the, the songs in the temple turning to wailing and the many bodies flung everywhere. So, you know, this is people, going through the motions and, and singing their songs and doing what they're supposed to. And, and God is again, seeing their hearts and seeing that they're not in this and that they're not, they're not wanting to do this. So uh, there will be death and wailing to come over the temple. And of course, when dead bodies are in the temple, because unlike today where we bring the dead into our, our churches for church services and stuff like that, uh, that would have been seen as a very defiling thing. Uh, because it, if you remember in Deuteronomy or if you study Deuteronomy, there's a lot of talk about when you touch a dead body or a dead body is near, it, it kind of defiles the, the holiness of the area. So we see that God himself was talking about defiling this temple, which, you know, it's just him making a point after these people who say they're following God have already defiled the temple. So we see that he's just, he's, uh, you know, he's reiterating their guilt and he's, he's bringing down, uh, punishment. And we see that, uh, he even talks about how they have, they've cheated the poor, you know, they've, they sold them less than high quality goods. You know, they're selling more, they're, they're, they're selling more grain than they're giving them. They're, that's the dishonest scales. They're boosting the price, you know, saying, Oh, I need to need to, prices have gone up. I need this, you know, and then skimping on the measure again, selling, selling more than they're actually giving. And then 
here's one that's really bad, like selling even the sweepings with the wheat. Like, so what they would do, and we still do this today, but we have machines that do this is they would, they would separate the holes because there's a little, little thin shell on wheat when it's harvested and you would get the gleanings is what it's called. You'd separate them from the wheat and then, after you're done doing this process and I'm sure they had more, they had some technology to help with this, you know, kind of like sieve things. And if, if not just throwing it up and letting the wind blow off the, the little chaff, uh, there would be, you know, you'd want to clean up the threshing floor. You'd want to clean up the area you were, you were pulling this chaff up. So you'd sweep that up. And normally, you know, you just sweep that out the door, or, you know, if you're really, you're really uh, dedicated to using everything, you could sweep it into the garden and let it become mulch or you know, stuff like that. I, think, I don't know. I'm sure they did stuff like this back then, but just I'm thinking about it today. Like you could use that for you know biomass to to become mulch and and stuff like that. But anyways, these people are literally sweeping that up and then selling it with the wheat. Like they did all this work to separate from the wheat and now they're sweeping it up and just selling it with the wheat, you know, to kind of add a little bit of weight, you know, who's going to notice a little bit of dust and and wheat shells in their, in their wheat. Honestly, I think I would. And I'd be very upset that I was getting that, you know, but you know, people put up with a lot more than they should most of the time. So we see God is, is talking about, you know, they've, they've really had this unfair practices. They've, they've been, you know, very unfair with the poor and the needy. They've just been abusing them, taking advantage of the fact that they really don't have any other options. And then also their irreverence to just want to do business on the day that is set aside as Sabbath and, you know, they, they call themselves Jews is pretty much what this is. Like, you, you call yourself a person of the Lord, but you you don't take pleasure in the Sabbath. You don't take pleasure in the things of God. All you care about is the things of this world. And we see that still today, you know. We see people still more focus on the things of this world than the things of God. And that can be very, very sad. So, continuing on at verse 7. The Lord has sworn by himself, the pride of Jacob, I will never forget anything they have done. I will not, will not the land tremble for this, and all who live in it mourn. The whole land will rise like the Nile. It will be stirred up and then sink like the river of Egypt. In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in the broad daylight. I will turn your religious festivals into mourning and all your singing into weeping. I will make all of you wear sackcloth and shave your heads. I will make that time like mourning for only a son and the end of it like a bitter day. The days are coming, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of food or thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from the sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. In that day, the lovely young women and strong young men will faint because of thirst. Those who swear by the sin of Samaria, who say, 
as surely as your God lives, Dan, or as surely as the God of Beersheba lives, they will fall, never to rise again. So we once again see this pride of Jacob, which is talking about the self-sufficient attitude of the Israelites, where they, they're not relying on God like they should. They're not you know, thinking and properly asking God to to provide for them and to give them what they need and to give them the strength and wisdom to do what they need to do and you know the guidance on where what they should be doing they're not doing this they're all they're all about taking care of their own you know taking care of their own things they're all about uh being self-sufficient you know they're only they're only thankful for their own hard work pretty much then they're not thankful for God and his guidance and his, his blessing. And then we see him talking about flooding and the flooding of the Nile, which if you don't know anything about the Nile, it floods regularly at certain seasons and uh, pretty predictably. So during the rainy seasons, it comes up and floods the area around it, the Nile basin, and then it uh, subsides. And I think today we've done a lot to shape where that flood goes in, in that area. You know, humans have taken over that area quite well, but I do think there's parts that are left to flood in their natural way so that uh, we don't, I'm assuming the people there don't want to uh, restrict the Nile too much because I can imagine that that much water that we're talking about whenever you get into flooding scenarios and stuff like that can be very, very dangerous. So, we have that area around the Nile that when it floods, it gets flooded with nutrient-rich soil. Uh, very good, very good uh, you know, lake, or not lakes, river sand, or uh, river nutrients that come up. And a lot of places around the Nile would count on that for agriculture. They would count on the river to come up and flood their, their fields and the areas and give them that extra that extra sediment, that extra fertilizer, and then they would plant in that area and harvest crops from there. And it would, it would be very, very rich. But anyways, enough of that there, he brings up the flooding, the regular regularity of the flooding as, you know, the certainty that the next flood's coming, your destruction is coming as well. And of course he's talking about the, the day of judgment where he's talking about how he will remove his presence basically from, from all the earth and people will be lost and they won't know what to do and they won't have the presence of God anymore. And again, this is talking about the very end days, which, you know, something I wanted to talk about, something I noticed is that as long as Christians or those who walk with God, I should say, are here to intervene and intercede on the behalf of the evildoers in the world and the people who aren't, you know, who aren't are in that gray area where they're not quite good people. They're not quite bad people. Sorry about that. If I didn't manage to edit out that bang, it was my son coming to ask me a question. The door is very sticky and makes a loud noise when it opens. Where was I? Yes. He's talking about the day of the Lord where all these terrible things are going to happen. And Oh yeah. The interceding point. I was talking about how as long as there's people who follow God who are there to intercede on the behalf of people who aren't following God, I believe that this world will continue to go on, basically. So as long as there's, I don't, I wouldn't want to say just 
one single Christian because at that point, I think God would be like, all right, buddy, this isn't going anywhere. Let's go and get this show on the road. Uh, but as long as there's a, a group of Christians who are in the world, around the world, interceding and praying for the world, I think that's going to continue. The world's going to continue. I, I just don't see any reason why it wouldn't. And that was kind of a revelation for me today. So that, or not today, it was yesterday when I had this. But as long as us Christians are here praying for and interceding on the behalf of the people who deserve, you know, destruction. I believe this world will continue and the end of days will be put off longer and longer. Cause I believe there is going to come a point as it says in the book of revelation, where there will be almost no believers left. And at that point, that's when the day of the Lord's begins. That's when destruction begins. So, when I hear about these revivals and these these you know swellings in the ranks of Christians and these people coming back to faith and all that stuff, it's wonderful. I, I'm excited for that because I think it means it pushes off the day of destruction. You know, it's just something I I kind of thought about yesterday. I think that can give us some peace. Now, it doesn't mean we shouldn't, we should grow complacent because as we've seen with Amos talking to Israel about complacency, that's one of the most deadly things to do. If we grow complacent, we grow lazy, we grow selfish, we don't do the things we're supposed to do. So uh, let's be grateful, but let's not be complacent. So here at the end, he starts talking about how they haven't listened to God, so and they've been following other gods. So God is withdrawing his revelation because if they're content to ignore God, then God's content not to lead them or give them revelation anymore. So we see this as kind of God, you know, shaking off the sand, the dirt, the dust, and uh, continuing on with this plan, not not letting you know the Israelites' lack of faith in 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 dedication to God be the downfall of God's plan. And then we hear this, this place here, the guilt of Samaria or the sin of Samaria. Uh, this could be a word play in Hebrew, which is a word that means sin or guilt. And uh, it sounds very similar to the Canaanite word for their goddess Asherah. So this could be a play on words, you know, talking about the guilt of, 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 the guilt of, excuse me, I got to find the sin of Samaria or the guilt of Samaria, you know, the Asherah of Samaria. So he's very much talking about how they have, they have added worship of this lesser deity or this idea of self-sufficient self-madeness, you know, this, this idea of, you know, you are, you are what you make of yourself sort of thing instead of you are what God's made you. Uh, we, we see that a lot today, especially in America where, uh, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, and, you know, become whatever you want to become just by sheer will and, and, and dedication. And we, we see this very self-made, very self-centered kind of attitude that is not exactly what God calls us to do. Like he doesn't want us to be pushovers. He doesn't want us just to crawl in the ball and, and, uh, you know, give up and die, but he doesn't, 
he also wants us to properly worship him for everything that's good in this world is because of him. So, some translations do point this out as idol or goddess of Samaria. So, uh, the one we read, uh, which I think is still the NIV, pulls it out as sin of Samaria, which, uh, I, as the spiritual podcast, I think it would hit differently if it's not sin, instead the goddess of, of Samaria, you know, that, that brings up different things. I'm not sure. It'd be interesting to dig into why certain publishers have decided to use uh, sin instead of talking about the goddess. But that's what we see there is he's, it's talking about just not following God as they should. And then it says right here, as surely as your God lives, Dan, or as surely as God of Bathsheba lives, they will fall never to rise again. I think this is kind of tongue in cheek. Uh, so these people he's talking to really believe in, in this, this, these other goddesses and gods, um, Beersheba and Asherah and stuff like that. And it's all lowercase, at least in my translation. So he's not talking about the God. He's talking about these lesser gods, these uh, gods of... I, there's there's two different types of gods. There's the, the gods that have craved worship, and, you know, want to be worshipped, and that have led man astray to worship them instead of God. And then there's the gods who are just these as as we've talked before the gods are are these beings much like angels more than likely that were created by god to basically run everything in the world to to be all the forces of nature and all that sort of stuff so we have the gods that want to be worshiped and it's the ones that fell with satan and that uh, actively lead people astray. And then you have the gods that are just these natural forces that humans decide that they're going to worship uh, because we are very superstitious people. So uh, you have two different kinds of gods there. And uh, both are not the kinds of gods that need to be worshipped. Both are not the kind of gods that we are, are called to acknowledge as almighty beings. There's only one of those, and that is our god, Yahweh. You know, He's the only God that is is worthy of, of praise and all this sort of stuff. And, uh, yeah, so this is very tongue-in-cheek, you know. Amos is saying this to the tribe of Dan, with the people in in Israel, and saying, you know, as sure as your God lives, you know, they will fall never to rise again. Pretty much saying your gods are powerless against the one mighty God, you know. And, uh He's, he's very much tongue-in-cheek because these people believe these gods exist or believe that they're believe that they are all-powerful gods that they should be worshiping. So that pretty much sums it up for today. Uh, what can we take away today? We, we can get caught up in making our own idols very easily. We can get caught up in being very self-sufficient and we really need to remind ourselves in these times when, when we feel like we're, it's all about us, all about, I did this and I did that and I accomplished this and it was with the sweat off my back and all that sort of stuff. Whenever we start thinking like that, I think it's a, a kind of a red flag for us to, to take a, a moment and stop and say, you know what? No, that wasn't me. Uh, that was God. That was everything, 
everything that I've done in my life that I'm proud of, that was God. That That's kind of where we need to be. And we need to thank Jesus for bringing that revelation to us, you know, that since he he died on the cross, since he made that possible for our, our good actions in this world to actually have an impact on the, on the afterworld. Like he had to come, he had to sacrifice his perfect life for our imperfect life. And through that, any good that we do, any good that we accomplish is actually accrued. It actually helps in the future. It actually doesn't just imprint on this world it imprints on the next. And any good that we accomplish, any feats that we get done, any just any day-to-day thing that is a success in the way of getting our lives together and taking care of the people we love and those around us who need help, any of those directly related to God. And we need to just take a minute and remind ourselves everything good comes from God. And we need to be grateful for that. Thank you for listening to the Revelation On Demand podcast. Please like, share, and subscribe wherever you catch podcasts from. Please, if you like what we're doing, share this with a friend, family member, or someone from your church. This is a completely private venture, and we receive no funding from any sources. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, please feel free to contact us, me, at revelationondemand at gmail.com, and you will find that in the description. God bless, and see you next time.